The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Our guest this week is a Long Beach, California-based singer-songwriter and dueling pianos musician whose latest album, Never Late Than Better, was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic and released in September. Our guest incorporated some innovative strategies for promoting his work, including a unique website and putting up actual billboards to advertise his projects. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.wesleydavidmusic.com and at RealWesleyDavid on Twitter. We are happy to welcome Wesley David onto the Break the Business podcast. How's it going? Hello, listeners in podcast land. How are you doing? (laughs) Podcast land is very happy to hear from you. So there are about a hundred reasons why I'm interested in talking to you because there's a lot about your background that's pretty dang fascinating. But the one I want to start with is really kind of after my own heart, which is your dueling pianos background. So I happen to be a big fan of the dueling pianos medium. My sister actually was the manager of a dueling pianos club in New York City in Times Square and ran a dueling pianos business for many years. So like I, you know, we, it, it's, in, it's in our family blood. We love dueling pianos. And really? I think what I love most about it is in addition to just like the great music, every time you go out to see dueling pianos, something weird always happens. Something funny and crazy because everybody's drunk always happens. So I, I'm wondering, uh, can you dig back into your dueling pianos history and just tell us like the funniest, most crazy interesting dueling pianos memory that you have yeah i can that that's very interesting i'd like to uh hear more about that with your your sister and what what club she was part of but uh yeah dueling pianos is a it's a fun thing it's a fun thing to go out on a saturday night and it's a good icebreaker and everybody's singing you know sweet caroline or don't stop believing and pounding <laughs> pounding a lot of alcohol to uh <laughs> loosen up the pipes so yeah no it's a good time my so my my favorite story do you mean like the most embarrassing story or the funniest story w- whatever direction Probably. you want to take it like if if we're at a cocktail party and like you tell me you're in dueling pianos and you need to tell me one story that's just gonna make me laugh um or just blow me away what's your one story I was a I was a trainee at a club called Howl at the Moon in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I was only about four months into the job, and uh, I was hanging out with one of the bouncers who was like this like shaved head UFC looking guy, and uh, there was like almost like a the entrance was a kind of above the club. You have to walk down these stairs to get into the club, and you could see uh, the dance floor and the pianos from this little portion. And we're talking, we're hanging out, we are observing this short weird guy who's like hitting on this group of bachelorettes who was dancing in front of uh, the pianos and you know he's bringing them drinks and he's he's dancing and something something was wrong with this guy and we're chatting a, a minute later we look over and he trips and his pants come off on the dance floor and he is <laughs> but naked no! on the dance floor these bachelorettes are screaming they don't like this guy and my buddy he he like walks down there calmly, he picks the guy up by his polo shirt, like at the neck, 
and <laughs> drags him out by the neck of his polo shirt and kicks the only him article out. of and clothing he has left at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was a lawsuit waiting to happen, but it was a uh, it was a funny introduction to the world of uh, the zany the zany world of dueling pianos for me. And I'm telling you, in the dueling pianos world, I mean depending on the club, like that's a Tuesday. Like there's always the bachelorette party and the drunk person. And, and uh, how about song requests? What is the weirdest song request you've gotten at a dueling piano bar? Cause I know like people can throw the weirdest stuff at you. That's a tough question. Uh, you get, you get like, it's always funny to see like a Pantera request or a, uh, a nine inch nails request when you just played like Frank Sinatra for some old people <laughs> who are on their like 40th, 40th freaking wedding anniversary. And some like dumbass wants to hear Pantera or, or wants to hear like, uh, you know, like a YouTube song, like Friday by Rebecca Black or, uh, <laughs> or I got, I got a song once uh, Halloween by the Shags. I don't know if any classic rock fans out there know the Shags. It's like the, it's like, it's like famous for being the unintentionally worst, funniest rock album ever made, like self-produced by a family uh, in the late '60s, so you you get uh, you get people who are just looking to, you know, screw with screw with the top forty, <laughs> the top forty <laughs> system. Wow. Um, l- let me tell you some about just that about you that I find most interesting. And I think would be the most intriguing thing for the listeners. Okay, dueling pianos is like the ultimate raucous live music club experience everybody's loud everybody's cheering everybody's crazy the crowds are hopping and i just think about the transition from what that must have been like for you to be a dueling pianos musician having those crowds having that live music experience to covid hitting and live music disappears and you're alone back home making an album by yourself uh, during this pandemic, can walk the listeners through what was that like for you? What was that transition, those feelings like? Well, it came on the heels of, uh, I, I was planning on doing it anyway, but the the pandemic and suddenly having no shows and no travel uh, just pushed my, pushed my schedule up, accelerated my, my timeline for it. Um, and I've been in and out of bands for a long time. I've been writing songs since I was a kid. So it's definitely where my heart is. And uh you know, I, I in some ways I had been planning on, you know, being intentional about making like the pivot, uh, but the the pandemic just it was just the opportunity was staring me in the face. So I I knew I knew I had to take advantage of it. But yeah, I've been writing songs for a long time, and um, you know, songwriting has been an escape since I was a kid, and I have done it off and on while doing dueling pianos. But it's tough. It's tough when you get as when you become a working musician you know, you're on the road a lot. So you, you're either playing or you're, you're traveling. So, you know, it's, it's like you're almost your entire life has been just, just traveling somewhere yeah. or putting miles on your car. So, um, yeah, I mean, to some extent it was a, just a timing issue and suddenly I had all the time in the world on my hands. Are you the sort of person that needs sort of your, as a default to be traveling, to be around the crowds all the time? Was it unsettling to be, you know, I mean, I know it has been for me just to be at home all the time during the pandemic. Um, yeah. How does that play to your psyche? Yeah, it's been it's been a little bit lonely. I've, I've been I've been honest about honest about this when people have asked me, yeah. and uh, I'm sure they want a you know a a a positive soundbite answer. But yeah, no, it's it's been very lonely. I had a family member who was close with who moved away uh, to get a job. I have a couple of close friends who moved also. Um, 
somewhat related, somewhat unrelated to the pandemic. Um, but, uh, you know, at the same time though, I mean, I think, uh, you know, loneliness, the, the down, the down parts of life or whatever can be, you know, the best, uh, opportunities to make music. Cause that, that's where the, that's where the depth is. That's where the, that's where that, um, that, that sense of solace is you just, you just get into your own headspace and, and you start seeing what's there for better or worse. And you start, you know, you start writing to, um, to what you're feeling. And it sounds like you were really tapping into that depth, tapping into those feelings and having it find its way into your art for this album. I think so. Yeah. I, from, from that standpoint, I think it was helpful. Um, which to what you said before, one of my favorite quotes from, from Bono is megalomania sets in early. So yeah, missing, <laughs> missing the show is definitely missing the, you know, even as a uh, wannabe rock star, often playing to drunk moms in their, you know, forties, uh, at a piano bar on a Friday night, um, you know, that's, uh, it, I don't want to say addictive, but you get used to it and you get used to a sense of who you are through performance um, and through, you know, the the attention is, mm-hmm. is nice when you're a performer or an actor or whatever. So it's like going from 60 to, to zero for most of us during the pandemic. I appreciate you sharing that insight because, I mean, first of all, I know it's not easy, but also there are a lot of folks listening to you right now who are indie musicians like you who are nodding their heads because they they feel that same you know you called it an addiction but you know that that same <laughs> attachment to the cheering crowds to traveling to being out and about you don't you don't yeah. achieve a lot of success as a touring musician unless you you enjoy those things to some extent and so to have it all yeah. stop and or even just like to switch to live streaming which can be gratifying in its own way but you know in a lot of ways for a lot of musicians it doesn't necessarily serve as a substitute to having the cheering crowd right in front of you and it's been right. an adjustment so i appreciate you sharing that with us but i will say this i've listened to some tracks uh, off of never late than better and i mean it it, it hit me it was powerful for me I, I could feel like i heard some of that that time in your music and as a mu- as a music listener that was a, a, a a rewarding, gratifying experience for me. So I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I know a few of the songs, um, you know, I'd like to think that there's some some good humor on a few of the songs, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, they came from an emotional place. A couple of them are about a, a close friend of mine who had a medical emergency situation with a, a baby that she had. Uh, so yeah, a lot of uh, all my you know, deep, dark stuff <laughs> went into this album. And, um, but you know, I I like to think there's a kind of a playful sense to a lot of the songs too, because I that's how I feel about life for the most part. So it's a little bit of a sense of the uh, the craziness and the absurd of of being human during the pandemic. So I tried to tried to get it all in there. Crazy and absurd is certainly something we can all understand right now. So I, I, you know, the yeah. album I'm sure is going to speak to a lot of people, and we're going to play a song from the album in just a little bit, listeners. So uh, the song is going to be Ball of Yarn. But before we get into Ball of Yarn. I want to have you talk a bit about your approach to promoting your music and promoting yourself, because there are a lot of things that you do as an indie artist that really kind of go against the grain for what I see a lot of other DIY musicians doing right now. And the first uh, opportunity I had to discover that was when I went to your website for the first time, WesleyDavidMusic.com. And I'll tell you, listeners... You're not going to find any website that looks like this one when you come across it. I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, it, it's 
it it's sort of a mix of like 1990s GeoCities yeah. with conspiracy theorists like yeah. stuff going sure. on. I'm not even doing it justice. Tell the listeners what they come <laughs> across when they see your website and why? Why why did you set it up this way? <laughs> I can't answer the why. That's a good question. But the <laughs> how I can answer. Uh, it, yeah, it was designed to look, you know, it was designed to look retro and kind of like it came straight out of the 90s, which I'm a, I'm a big fan of 90s culture. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's supposed to look like an old, an old GeoCity site or Netscape uh, and be kind of hokey and, and weird. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll argue to this day that, you know, the, the internet has come a long way, of course, but you know, there there was like a wild west part of the internet, which I lived through as a kid, which was a remarkable period. You could stumble on somebody's website or their MySpace, and and it was just so much creativity. Yeah. Um, perhaps less less functionality, but a lot of creativity. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of my kind of random thoughts about uh, social media and groupthink and some other stuff that I tentatively think we're we're dealing with right now uh in the context of like a 90s geocities uh website i do want to talk to you about that but first i i want to impart to listeners that there's a lot of lessons to be learned from the way that wesley is approaching his website right it's an opportunity for you as an artist to be creative don't feel like you have to just create like the standard website template that you find on wix if you can use it as a way for people to kind of learn about who you are and how you want to approach your art. Another website that I really like, listeners, another guest we have on the podcast, Mary Amber. She does a great job with this, too, on her website because her music's all about, like, nerdcore uh, pop music and uh, that kind of stuff. And so, like, her whole website is structured to look like a comic book to sort of, you know. Uh, I love so it. So you know right it. away what yeah. she's about. and people kind of get an idea of what you're about from your website. And I think that's important. And I do want to talk about this other piece of your website, which is what I would like to call a, uh, a skepticism of social media culture, which is interesting to me because on this podcast, you know, how to promote yourself on social media and having a strong social media strategy is something we talk about regularly on this sure. podcast with the listeners, but you have an attitude towards <laughs> social media. That's very different from a lot of musicians do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I think social media is a, a mixed bag. Uh, and even leaving aside some of the uh, ethical concerns, which might be boring to some people to listen to. But um, yeah, no, I think that, you know, we came from a world, we're not, we're not going back to this world, so it's, it's fine. But we came from a world where uh, music and arts and maybe even journalism to some extent, um, there was a... I think an air of importance and at times like mystique about it. Like it would be amazing as a kid, even in the '90s, to you know hop on like you turn on like MTV, and you know there'd be the stuff in heavy rotation. But if you like something that was more avant-garde, it'd be amazing. It'd be incredible to catch you know on Letterman or something like your favorite band or your favorite hip-hop artist or whatever. It'd be it'd be a rare and beautiful thing. Now we're in the age where the conventional social media wisdom is the barrage model. Hey, it's me. Here's my identity. Here's my brand. I'm going to shout it at you. I'm going to send you 10 TikToks a day, 100 Instagram posts a day. And all the, all the chatter seems to be the same thing. Like, well, more is better. More is always better. More platforms, more posts, more, more of you. And I question that wisdom. I think that, I think that perhaps for younger artists or for some artists, um, that's a successful strategy. And if your content is 
is maybe better than mine. Um, but you know, for for some other artists, or maybe hip hop or rock or some other genres, I, I question whether or not there's diminishing returns. Uh, I don't claim to be an expert about this, but you know, it's it's my my opinion. And then you factor in you know, a fair amount of social media and big tech, including especially Facebook and Google. You know, there are a lot of legitimate ethical concerns. I'm not sure if anybody uh, listening has seen the uh, the Social Dilemma, which came out on Netflix. But, you know, when we're talking about increased suicide rates since about 2010, it, this is this is data. These are these are the fact the numbers don't lie. When when social media got on smartphones and you've got 12 year old girls on their smartphone, on Facebook all day, we see a rise in, in suicides. We see stagger. I mean, this, this is getting depressing now, but you know, staggering statistics. There is a connection. There, there is there's something to be taken seriously about social media. There's the ethical underbelly to you know what are we doing? And I think that uh, to give you a long reply, I think that bands and artists should maybe have maybe grow an ethical. Uh, conscience, at least to start asking these questions. You know, artists will make their own decisions, but just to start asking the questions of what platform am I on? Should I be on every platform? Should I be choosy? Should I be intentional about, am I on TikTok? Am I on Facebook? How, you know, what kind of Google service? What if, what if my, you know, my retargeting ad is being shown next to something for, you know, terrorism, which is a thing, which was a thing until businesses uh, had to step up and say, hey, Google, stop doing this. Right. So these are these are major uh, privacy and ethical concerns that I think bands have been, uh, to to put it mildly, have, have shied away from um, because they don't, because understandably musicians are behind the eight ball and nobody wants to lose revenue. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to lose revenue, so I get it. But, you know, we, we've, we've been sold a bill of goods as far as not... Um, not being willing to take a stand against the the more important uh, aspects of big tech. It's an intriguing thought process on social media, and it's not one we hear often on this podcast. So I'm glad you brought it up. But um, you know the the ethical considerations of social media, the risk of overexposure, which is a very big risk. Uh, you know, any any publicist will tell you that that you know it's easy to put yourself too much out there, and it turns off your audience on social media. The risk of diluting your product of, of, of coming off as an egomaniac. Cause every other tweet is buy my album, buy my album. Right. And, and you don't have as deep of a connection. And I noticed that your approach is not, you know, you, you place less emphasis on social media than the average indie artist, but you place more emphasis on the email list right on your website. You really try to guide people to that email list. <laughs> and uh, is, is that an intentional kind of approach? Uh, to to give you an answer, everyone's going to laugh at. Um, the answer is it will be an intentional approach, but mm-hmm. I am still betwixt and between email email concepts. Uh, you know, I mean, I do think that uh, you know, I might be product of my age that that is a little more my thinking. Like, you know, what's my content? You know, maybe what's my video content mm-hmm. or YouTube, um, and then social media as um, it's important, but. I'm, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm still wrestling with how to do it and how to, uh, you know, how to keep it interesting, but, but not quite be in the barrage model of, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 10 posts a day and, and, and look at me. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that, you know, even with email, I think that there is a, I haven't figured this out yet, but I think there's probably a better and worse way to do it. I think there's, there's a more 
and less ethical way to do it. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm between millennial, elder millennial and Gen X. So, I mean, I personally hate getting spam emails. I hate that, you know, I hate that I signed up for something that I like and, you know, email me once a month, but instead I get, you know, two or three emails a day. I just, I think we're, I think we're, we're all kind of, I don't know how this happened, but we're all susceptible to the, the bombardment model right mm-hmm. now in tech. It's just that, Hey, more is better, more emails, more tweets, more is always better. I, I, I question, question the logic of the more, the more is better. I think some, sometimes more is better, but sometimes less can be more too. It is certainly important to be ethical in the way you approach email or social media and not inundate your audience uh, because one, that's not a good thing to do. And secondly, it'll probably turn off your audience. But there is a lot of data to support that in a lot of ways, an email list can provide greater returns on your investment than social media. The conversion rates are significantly higher. You tend to get a closer relationship with your fans. You get a chance to really speak with them more deeply and and they tend to interact with your material longer. So it's, it's an approach that makes a lot of sense. I want to ask you one more promotion thing before we uh, get into the song here. Cause I was just curious. Cause I just, I read this about you billboards. You put up billboards. Is that right? (laughs) For your music? That was a very wise, wise expenditure of money. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I, um, I've in, in dueling pianos, where I've had, you know, some success as a touring musician, we've, we've done billboards in the past. So I was, I was not uh, unfamiliar with it and yeah, I'm kind of old school. And I thought my, my, the reasoning I went through was that, Hey, it's a pandemic and you know, we're going to start to reopen and people will start to be driving on vacations and they'll see this crazy billboard. And I was going to tie it in with some live streaming events and like an Instagram contest to like find my billboard. I had these ideas (laughs) and unfortunately they didn't quite pan out. The ones that I got in California, I only got one really good, uh, performance. I played under the billboard and there were, it's, it's off the I-10. It's in the Coachella Valley. It's across from a train track. It's very, very windy. I knew it was windy, but I didn't do enough homework where the spot was. It was, it was just such a good deal. I hope people are laughing at this because this is, <laughs> this is what not to do basically with advertising. <laughs> um, but so I recorded a, two times. I went out there, I was losing sunlight. I recorded a couple of songs one came out really well, and we're going to do a, a music video around it, but it was too windy to do any live streaming. I was going to do Twitch, and it was just, the, the first day was just way too windy. And then the other problem was, the it's by a train tracks. It's in the Coachella Valley, so it's off the I-10. Uh, it's actually the I-10 heading eastbound to into LA. And there are, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the area, but you know, in five, six months out of the year, it's 115 degrees. It's very hot. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of snakes. Out no, it's, it's in the desert. So I was setting up, and you, you hear things. You hear the. There are snake holes. I'm, I'm not kidding about this. You can you can Google map it. There are snake holes everywhere. So I'm setting up my bench and guitar and like saying a prayer. <laughs> I'm not even a religious person. And setting up my bench and just trying to not put it in snake holes. It's like it's sand. It's it's this is where. It was very, it was really funny. I was like this, uh, not only did I choose to do this, I chose this particular spot to have this billboard uh, by the snake holes. So um, <laughs> hope people find that fun. This is what kids at home, this is what not to do when you buy a billboard. Well, it led, I mean, it, first of all, it gave you a funny story and that's always enough right there that there's, that's, that's not nothing, but I like the greater message of it, which is take big swings 
do things differently in your promotion. And I think that's something you excel at, whether it's a unique approach to your website or we're trying different ways to promote your music that other people aren't doing, you know, finding channels that are, are not as and paths that are not as occupied. That makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, doing things where it's find my billboard, that's interesting and that, that can generate engagement. So I love it. Great lessons to learn there. And I love the music business chat, but let's get to the music of our chat. We're going to play the uh, song off your latest album. The song is called Ball of Yarn. And uh, here it comes right now on the Break the Business podcast. Well, I've paid my bills. The living room's neat. Wait until after I eat so the bread I can fill. Brush my teeth. Take my pills. The OCD keeps down thrills. Set my alarm. Then straight to bed.
from our guest's latest album, Never Late Than Better. That was Ball of Yarn here on the Break the Business podcast. Wesley, thank you so much for letting us play that. Thank you for playing it. It's never sounded so good, may I say. (laughs) (laughs) Tremendous, tremendous. Uh, This has been an absolute treat, man. I've loved this conversation. Uh, A a man after my own heart here with the dueling pianos and and all the cool things you're doing to promote your career and having what might be my favorite artist website. So that's quite an honor. I really appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So before we let you go, one last question. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? That is a good question. Um, you know, I would say I would say do what feels right for you. Uh, maybe following on what we were we were talking about before. I, you know, I, I think that there is more. There's so many. You know, there's so many avenues to get your music out there. Obviously, there's all the online platforms, but yeah, I mean, be willing to think outside the box and uh, do what feels right for you. You know, do do what's authentic for you. It is cliche, um, but you know, if you're starting from scratch and you watch a hundred YouTube videos and each person, you know, gives slightly different advice, um, it, the information is good to have. But then at the end of the day, you still have to make your call. Um, so I think, you know, try to try to be willing to market yourself and also just keep checking in on what feels like it's the right thing for for you to do for your music. You seem like somebody who's very true to themselves and you're following your own advice. And so I very much appreciate that. Thank you. You can find out more about our guest's work and definitely listeners check out his website by going to <laughs> www.wesleydavidmusic.com and following our guest at Real Wesley David on Twitter. Wesley. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you, Ryan, very much. I appreciate it. And thank you all for listening to the Break the Business podcast.